listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for July 2015. Today's episode is titled Workplace Ministry. If you believe in workplace calling, could your workplace calling be your ministry? Management must recognize the scriptural validity of individual workplace callings as ministry. Furthermore, workplace callings are not humanly defined, they are defined by God. Therefore, building organizations aligned with God requires management to find the right people, people God has called and assigned to the organization. One of the keys to finding the right people is finding those who have discerned their workplace callings and view their work as ministry, a way to execute the commands of Christ. Work produced by people so aligned with God will be performed with passion and excellence since they know their work reflects their relationship with the Lord. Organizations built with such people will enjoy a world-class reputation and deliver outstanding value to those they serve. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Workplace Ministry. I want to conclude the book of Colossians today, uh, starting in, in chapter 4, verse 13 to verse 18, and just suggest that we're continuing, as Paul's wrapping up the book, we're continuing to see him talk about you know, how do you walk out the reality of the seminal principle of Christianity, which is whatever you do in word or deed, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So let me read the text, and then we'll break it down and talk about it. Paul writes, for I bear him witness, referring to, um, to Epaphras, that he has a great zeal for you, and for those in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. So he's just, he just t- finished talking about this seminal prayer of praying for people to be firm in all the will of God. And he's bearing witness that Epaphras has great zeal for that prayer. Then he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you. So this is his conclusion of the book. And he's focusing on two things as he wraps it up. He's focusing on community, and he's focusing on calling. Now, in chapter 4, beginning with verse 7, he began to talk about community. We've already talked about many of those verses. And he he mentions in the course of completing the book here from verse 7 in chapter 4 to verse 18, he mentions eight different associates. And he talks about each one in very uh, intimate terms, except one. So the first one he talks about is Tychicus. He talks about him as a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant. And then Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother. Aristarchus, a fellow prisoner. Mark, cousin of Barnabas, a, a co-worker, a fellow worker for the kingdom of God. Then you have Justice, a fellow worker for the kingdom of God. Epaphras, a bondservant of Christ. And, of course, Paul is obviously a bondservant of Christ as well. Luke, the beloved physician. And then Demas. Now, he makes no familiar 
you know, no special noting of Demas other than obviously Demas was with him at the time, but he didn't call him a beloved brother or a faithful minister or a fellow servant or a co-worker in the kingdom. He didn't do any of that. So why is that? Well, if we looked at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, we would know something about Demas that Paul probably at the time of writing this letter was beginning to get tuned into. He basically noted that Demas had forsaken him in 2 Timothy 4, verse 10, and had because of his love for the present world. And he had departed, basically left Paul. So Demas was like Paul's Judas, not quite the same. I mean, Judas betrayed Christ. Well, Demas you know, betrayed Paul in the sense that he left him. He no longer continued as a spiritual son. And perhaps here as Paul is penning this epistle, he had some sense of that coming about. Now, as you think about what Demas did, it hopefully should remind you of Matthew 13, the parable of the four soil conditions. And in that parable, there are two soil conditions that actually the seed germinates and begins to grow, but it doesn't continue growing. Uh, one is because you have rock too close to the surface and therefore it can't develop the root system. So it can't handle the heat. When the heat's on, you have to have deep roots to, to pull moisture out of the soil to feed the plant. Well, if, the, if you have a, a rock too close to the surface, you can't develop that root system, and so the, the heat will, will, will kill the plant. And that's a picture of the heat and the pressure, the, uh, the stress of living life in a fallen world. The other condition is the seed germinated among you know thorns and thistles. And so the thorns and thistles typically grow faster than the true wheat or the true whatever that seed was. And so over time, these thorns and thistles choke out, you know, the good seed. And what that represents is cares of this world, distractions of the world, you know, money, pleasure, comfort, convenience, you know, self-serving agendas, that kind of thing. And that appears to have been what happened with Demas. Demas apparently loved this present world. And so he loved the things of the world. And so he was chasing the world. And in the end, the challenge to walk with Christ was not something that moved his heart. So Demas obviously is, in, is in, not in a good place here. And so Paul is making note of that and by the fact that he did not give any kind of familiar or special uh, you know, appellation here to Demas. So as he goes down his list, showing us how community-oriented he is, how important it is to be a community. If you look at the various descriptions he has, you know, like bondservant of Christ or fellow worker for the kingdom of God, that speaks of their engagement together in the work that God has called them to. So community was obviously very, very important to the Apostle Paul. And then he gets to verse 17, and he's talking about a man named Archippus. Archippus is mentioned one other time in scripture in Philemon chapter 2. And Archippus means master of the horse. And we, we know that many times names are very significant. For example, the name of Jesus, Jeho you know, Jehovah's I salvation. That's a very significant name. And it speaks of the destiny of Christ. Well, Archippus had a destiny in him, and it could very well be that his name, master of the horse, was indeed a clue to that destiny. And he tells Archippus basically three things. 
And these three things all tie very clearly to the message of strategic life alignment that we all are familiar with. The first thing he tells them is take heed. And that word take heed is a word that means to see or to discern. It's, it's like discover, it's find. It's the idea of really understanding the call of God that's on your life that may not be readily visible to you. I mentioned I was sharing with a, a lady recently about you know finding a job and what she was looking for is a job and I was trying to point to her calling. And so in the process of, the process of having that discussion with her, uh, she really had a disconnect there. She didn't know how to really process that, that comment because to her, life was all about money and living comfortably and, be, and, and basically not be, having a carefree life, that kind of thing. Well, the idea that God has a call on her was just foreign to her. She had no way to process that. So if you don't have any way to process that, you're not looking for it. You're not looking for the call of God. So if it stares you in the face, you probably won't see it. So the idea of to take heed is, a, is basically a, an intended to say, wake up. Wake up to the reality that you have a call on your life and your job is to discern that call. So that's the first thing he is. You've got to find the call of God on your life. And it's not totally up to you. The Holy Spirit wants to show it to you, but you need to be responsive and you need to have a heart to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you. The second thing he says is he talks about this, what you have, this, this, what this call that you have is a ministry here, which refers to executing the commands of another. And it is from the Lord. It is from him. It is not yours. You don't create it. You don't make it up. It is from the Lord. In current philosophy, particularly in the last 100, 125 years, as pagan philosophers, secular philosophers have tried to wrestle with the reality that no worldview offers any meaning or purpose in life except Christianity. And if you don't want to accept Christianity, you've got to come up with some way to, to answer the meaning question. The way they've answered that is you get to self-define the meaning and purpose of your life. And so that's how modern philosophies approach the idea of meaning. Well, Scripture does not give us that view. Scripture gives us a view that our meaning and purpose comes from our relationship with Christ and the purpose for which he has created us. So he gives us work assignments, and that's what it's saying here. Take heed, wake up, find the ministry that God has given to you. It is specifically divinely assigned to you. And that word, of course, ministry is diakadia, which refers to executing the commands of another. Ministry is, is not an office, it's not a vocation. Ministry is a function. We all are to function as ministers, as servants of Christ, doing his will according to his ways for his glory. So you gotta find it, you got to recognize you're looking for what God has called you to do. And the third thing he tells you to do is that you may fulfill it. And this whole idea of fulfilling is fill up to the top. It's like a cup that's overflowing. It is absolutely full of obedience to, to an alignment with God. So what a powerful reality here. 
that so beautifully connects with the strategic life alignment themes of an intentional, purposeful, strategic God creating everyone for a purpose. And our role is to find the purpose of God and then to fulfill it for the glory of God. And just as a reminder, we cannot find the purpose of God for our life except by seeking the Lord and the Lord revealing it to us. That is essential. So the, uh, the admonition to take heed, to find, to discern, assumes the predicate to that is the Holy Spirit is going to reveal it to you, and you are now given the grace to, to see it and discover it. And then you recognize it's the way that you serve the Lord. Ministry is a way of service. It's a way of worship. So one of the ways you worship is you obey and you do what God has put you here to do. And you do it with such excellence that you just fill it up. The cup is filled up to, to, to the brim. It's overflowing, which suggests, again, that you're doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him, which ties us back to Colossians 3.17 and that seminal principle of what it is to be a Christian. So I think this is a powerful reality here. He gives us a powerful picture of how he wants us to function to find and fulfill the purpose of God for his life. Now, just a little side point, uh, the verse before where he talks about the epistle that he wrote to the Laodiceans, and he, he tells them that they are to share their epistle, the epistle he wrote to Colossians, with the Laodiceans, and vice versa, the letter he wrote to the Laodiceans, he's supposed to, they're supposed to share with the Colossians, which indicates that Paul wrote a letter to Laodicea, even though we don't really have it. I'm not aware that we have a copy of it. Uh, but and it's not in the canon. Nevertheless, Paul viewed it as important for these letters to be shared because in the first century, these epistles were effectively the formation, the beginnings of the canon of the New Testament. The Old, the Old Testament canon was their scripture, and what the New Testament canon was doing was give them new insight into how to understand the Old Testament, how to understand the Messiah, what he did, and what it means to live now walk by faith. The Old Testament tells us that the just will walk by faith. That's found in the Old Testament. But the New Testament gives us further revelation about what that means. And it gives us more specifics about the purpose and destiny of God in creating each individual. So this is just rich here uh, with implications about how we are to learn from one another, be in community, how we can benefit by reading what was read to written to other people. We today are reading this book of Colossians thousands of years after it was, it was written, and it's blessing us with rich truth about how God wants us to live and how he wants us to view reality. So then he concludes in verse 18. He says this, this salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So he clearly is indicating that he wrote the book. I wrote it in my hand. He apparently didn't have a secretary or what the theologians called an amuensis. That's the terminology they use when the, one of the, when Paul or one of the writers of the epistle of an epistle had a secretary writing it. He apparently wrote it in his own hand. He was in prison and notwithstanding the hardships and difficulty of being in prison, which they were very hard in those days, he can say, grace be with you. Amen. And you look back on the book and you realize, wow, Paul was suffering greatly. Nevertheless, he penned perhaps one of the greatest explanations of Christianity that we have 
in Scripture, and that's the book of Colossians. So I pray that as you've, uh, you've pondered this book and you've considered it, that it's been very transforming for you. And I pray that you uh, not only saw the great prayer of Colossians 4.12 about praying for people to find and fulfill the purpose of God for their life and how, how we should be laboring in prayer over people for that, that reality to happen, but it also should remind us of the prayer that he prayed in the first chapter. He actually prayed two prayers. The first prayer was just gratitude and thankfulness that they had come to Christ and were displaying faith, hope, and love, which is some mark of somebody who is in Christ. But he went on with a more profound prayer. And in that more profound prayer was that they would be, that they would have a, the fullness, they would have re revealed to them the fullness of the will of God in their lives. So they could live lives that were worthy of the Lord and please the Lord in everything, bearing fruit in everything they did, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power for the journey God assigned to them, and being joyfully thankful that they've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. I think that's another very profound prayer. If you ever want to know what to pray over someone, I, I commend to you that prayer. That's a great prayer to pray over someone. And many people would be startled with that prayer because they're not used to someone praying with that level of discernment and that level of spiritual insight. But yet that's a wonderful prayer to pray over anyone in any situation. So I encourage you to grab a hold of that prayer and grab a hold of the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory, not your glory, but his glory through you. Grab a hold of the reality of being grounded in Christ. Grab a hold of the reality of walking in true agape love, which is sacrificial living. Grab a hold of the reality that love is expressed through living according to the similar principle, Colossians 3.17. And that similar principle has practices that we walk out every day that impact our family, the workplace, and everything we do. And to do this well, we have to be devoted to prayer. We have to be in Christian community together. We have to understand calling and destiny and walk in that reality. So may the Lord give us grace to do that well for his glory. In Jesus' name.